0: my soul, and let us journey on, for the night is dark, and, and I am far, and far from home, thanks be to God. Sing, oh. is passing over, the, the storm is passing over, hallelujah,
1: hallelujah.
0: encourage my soul, Good morning. Thank you, Jeff, for that wonderful introduction. I, I have to say, I mean, Jeff graduated from Princeton, so you know I expect people from Princeton to be a little bit behind. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did defend my dissertation, so I am finished with my PhD, and I am officially a doctor. So, but Jeff's from Princeton, so he would be—you know—he needs a little time to catch up on that. uh, I'm very thankful to be here. A personal note here, I actually got hit by a car in the fall. I commuted by bike to Emory, and so I need to wear my sunglasses. I am not trying to not look at you, and I'm also not masking the fact that I might cry because we're saying goodbye, but is it all right with all of you if I wear my sunglasses because the lights, I mean, I got a concussion, and you know how Bono always wears sunglasses? I'm basically Bono. Thank you for your understanding. My friend told me I'm Kanye West, and I said, "Ah, there are certain things about his personality I don't want to imitate. And I don't want to be known for those things either. So, North River has been such a home to me, and I'm so thankful for all of you. And uh, it is... I mean, July 8th, Lauren and I are pulling out of town, and that's very soon. Uh, Tom and I were just talking about it right before, and that was two weeks ago, two days ago. So it's less than two weeks away that that we're going, and uh, it's exciting for us to be starting on a new journey. It's also very sad in many ways, uh, because we are saying goodbye, and I'm coming up on six years of having been in Atlanta. I moved here on August 1st in 2010. So it, it's been quite the journey. Uh, I was telling some friends last night that this is the place I've lived the longest in my adult life. I lived in Gainesville, Florida for five years for my undergraduate. I lived in New Haven, Connecticut for three years when I did my master's degree. And I've lived here for almost six. So, and that's my adult life. <laughs> All of it right there in a nutshell. And it, it's fitting to me that as we leave, here at North River we've been reading Philippians together. And so today is our last Sunday in June. It's our last Sunday in Philippians. And for me, Philippians is all about friendship. And when I think about this congregation and my time in Atlanta, what a, what a great word to describe it. Uh, when I, as I look around and I'm leaving, when I got here, I knew some people. But now that I'm leaving, man, all of my friends are here. My family is here. I mean my parents live in Orlando and my brother lives in Alabama, but they're all so close and we're moving to Texas and it's so far away. Uh, but my my family is here and these are my friends and friends from college have moved here. I've made new friends along the way, but this is the center of friendship for me at North River and the, and Atlanta is the center of friendship. so I, th- I think it's it's fitting that I'll have some time to... Read Philippians with you that we'll have some time to talk about friendship together because you are a nexus of friendship for me, and I'm thankful for that. I will warn you on the front end that they did say abbreviated service, but then last night Tom told me at least 25 minutes. I guess he wants his his money's worth out of me before I move. So I'm not going long. He told me, go at least 25 minutes, maybe 30 So there you go. When I think about uh, friendship here, though, some of you have been here as as long as I have, most of you. Some of you have not. When I moved here, I mean, I I was not as old as I am, obviously, but I was in my mid-20s, and I was single. I was not planning on getting married. I wasn't really sure about how involved I could be at church. Um, Lynn described it to me, I guess, about a year and a half after I'd been here. She said, oh, yeah, I remember when you moved here, and you used to come late, sit in the back, and leave early. And that did describe how it was, because I was a little skittish about being around. Um, I'd, I'd had some things happen when I was in Connecticut that were challenging for me. My relationship with church was strained. I'm sure none of you have ever been there. None of you are there right now, I'm sure, either, because North River is perfect. More on that later. But um, it was strained. My relationship was strained with the church. My relationship was strained with people in the church. My friendships were threatened. And I think when we read Philippians, what we see is Paul talking about friendship He talks about the great friendship he has with the Philippians. He talks about the friendship the Philippians share with one another, the fellowship they all have together. And then he talks about what that can look like, how Christ can transform that, how it can be different because of Christ. And then he moves into, but what threatens that? What is it in our lives, in our world, in our our? communities that threatens the type of friendship that we could have and then he closes out by talking about how great it is once more to be with Christ in Christ among Christ as a group so that's just a preview of of where we're going to get to and what I think Philippians is about but North River and my friendship because Paul talks about Philippians and their friendship, so I want to tell you about my friendship with you and take a page out of his book. I moved here again, and I, I was a little skittish around church, and Jeff Hickman will remember this probably, but he wanted to get together with me. Jeff was leading the Edge Ministry at the time, and as a very good shepherd does, he tried to get together one-on-one with everyone who moved into the ministry, joined the ministry. So Jeff said, can, you know, can we get some time, John? And I avoided I'm very good at avoiding. I can, you know, dodge and shift around and, you know, dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge pretty well. i uh, pretty good at running away, too. So I, I was like, yeah, sure, yeah, we could get together and fully intending to dodge and not get together. And so I kind of put Jeff off for about six months. And then my old roommate from college, Jeff Childs, moved here. And we came up with a plan together because Jeff started wanting to get together with Jeff. Uh, Jeff Childs and we said oh well we'll just invite Jeff Hickman to come watch some Florida basketball with us because Hickman really likes basketball and maybe that will satisfy him I'm sure it will satisfy him because we'll both spend time with him we'll watch some Florida basketball there won't be any time for actual conversation and then it'll just be done and this guy will leave us alone so we had this great plan Hickman came over we watched Florida basketball Florida won which meant it was a great night and then Jeff, as he was leaving, said to us, you know, guys, this was really great. I loved watching basketball with you. I'd really like to get together one-on-one with each of you and have a conversation. And it just didn't work, our plan. <laughs> Epic failure. But that was an important moment because Jeff showed perseverance in our friendship and a desire for a for friendship. He wasn't willing to settle for the kind of dodging and and shallowness that I was trying to put on the friendship and that's a characteristic of this church I'm thankful for that about all of you and I'm thankful for that about my time here it's not just Jeff it's all of you you're not willing to settle for shallowness from people and you're not willing to let people stay in unhealthy places Jeff and I did get together, and we had a great conversation, and that was a turning point for me, because Jeff wanted to get to know me, and I thought that he was having going to have checked up on me, found out about me, so I kind of jumped in my story. He wanted to know my story. I jumped in my story kind of in the middle, and he looked at me as I was talking and got more and more perplexed, and finally he said, can you start earlier? I really don't know anything about you, and I'm confused. And that was an important moment to me as well because it meant Jeff really wanted to know me. And that goes hand in hand with what it is about you. Because you all as people, as a congregation, you want to know people. And you want to connect with them. And I've felt that since I've been here over the past six years. And that that is a love of Christ moment. That is how Jesus interacted with people. And that's how we're called to interact with people. And I'm thankful that that characterizes this church. You know, time moves on and Jeff convinced me to go to a leader's retreat with the Edge Ministry. That was a big moment for me. I hadn't been to a leader's retreat in a few years and did not want to go to a leader's retreat. It was a tough car ride. Jackie Webb was in that car ride with me. And she had to deal with me talking about how I did not want to go to the leader's retreat for the entire drive. Poor Jackie. You can sympathize with her later. But uh, it was that was a turning moment for me as well, being at the leaders retreat and hearing the heart of uh, Lynn Ottenweller talking about, and she was still Lynn Beatty at the time, but talking about the desire to care for people, and some of the systems that I'd seen and the and the ways that I'd seen church interact had caused some difficulties for me, and Lynn was talking about ways that they wanted to do things, and I was starting to get a little bit funky, I was starting to feel some things, and starting to get upset, and, and Jeff had told me before the retreat started, which is also important, but he said, if you feel things, just tell me, just tell me, hey, I'm feeling things, and this is what I'm I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, and he really wanted to know, and he said, you don't have to have it fully developed, just tell me what it is you think, I want your thoughts, Um, and that's characteristic of this church as well you want people's involvement and their gifts but the way that lynn talked about it as it moved on was she said and I, i will never forget this but she said you as leaders you family group leaders in the edge ministry you are not responsible for the people in your groups you're not responsible for their souls we need to talk though and we need to be able to converse and we need to, to, we need to be able to help you because as shepherds of this ministry, we do bear some responsibility for all of you. And that was an important moment for me because it made me see, okay, there are systems in place and maybe I have some problems with them and maybe we can work on having better systems. I mean, there will always be the need for improving our church, Right. The church is never going to have arrived. But if the heart is there, that the reason why we're doing what we're doing is because we care about one another. We care about our friendships. If that's the heart behind what we're doing, then I can be here. And that is the heart of North River. Uh, When I talk about North River, this will be my last little piece about North River. I know you guys are tired of me telling you all the good things about you since you know them all already. But when I talk about North River, one of the things that I always say is that this is the healthiest congregation I've ever been part of. And the reason why I say that is because of the humility. And that's a humility that's born out of the love that I just described. The leadership group here, they're a group of humble people. And I've experienced that since the day that I came here. And it's what Jeff said, I want to know your thoughts. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what your problems are, what your issues are with what's going on. It's the sharing of the microphone up here. It's the involvement of all of you. People want to do something. They want to have VBS or they want to have a Tuesday morning women's uh, Bible study. And the leadership group here says, okay, how can we do that? How can we support you? It doesn't have to be their idea. And that, that's some humility there because they want your involvement. They want our involvement because we're all in it together. And when I think about that, it's that attitude that led to the Edge ministry not being a traditional singles ministry, which led to there being married people in the Edge ministry, some of our best friends, which led to me seeing marriages that made me think, you know what, maybe I do want that which led to me meeting Lauren at Jeff and Jen Child's wedding, which led to me eventually dating Lauren, which led to Lauren moving back here, not just because of me. She'll tell you she had other reasons, but it was because of me. <laughs> and for that reason, Ross and Kim will always be thankful to me. <laughs> but uh, Lauren, Lauren moving back here, and our, us being able to date here together in this community, and learn from all of you, do our, get engaged here, do our premarital counseling here, and then get married here and have the first couple years of our marriage here. And you all have supported that. You all have helped build our marriage and given us the foundation to go forward and build a family. So we thank you for what you've given us. You are dear to our hearts, and we will never let go of that. And because Ross and Kim are here, we will always come back. All right, Philippians. So hopefully you've learned some things about Philippians this month. Lauren and I have been in and out of town, so I've tried to keep up through the website and learn some things that you've been learning. I don't know if I've kept up on everything, but I've tried. A couple reminders about Philippians. Paul wrote Philippians, as he tells us in chapter 1. Timothy was with him when he wrote it. Another man named Epaphroditus, who came from Philippi, was also with Paul when he was writing it. Epaphroditus came to Paul while he was imprisoned. Probably house arrest. Um, house arrest in the ancient world was a much better situation than being in jail in the ancient world, like actual prison. If you were in actual prison in the ancient world, they, it's not like prison today, where you know prison today they feed you and they give you opportunity to shower and you know it's not great by any means. I'm not advocating go to prison. But you know, in our world, we take care of our prisoners. In the ancient world, if nobody from the outside brought you food, you didn't eat. If nobody from the outside brought you a bucket of water, you didn't wash yourself. You were just there in shackles, and if nobody that if nobody outside cared about you enough to bring you things, you just sat there in shackles. And maybe when the Roman guards got bored, they would bring you out and beat you. That's prison in the ancient world. So Paul was probably writing in house arrest. I mean, access to writing materials and these types of things. Uh, he probably wrote Philippians between fifty-eight and sixty-two CE. And writing to Philippi, I, I have to give these things because you know this is part of why they bring me is to give you this information. Um, Philippi was a Roman colony, and what's important about that is that in Ro- in the Roman Empire, when they when Rome built a colony outside of. The Italian province the way they did that was they settled veterans there meaning soldiers of the Roman Empire's army so this is a particular type of person they weren't all Romans by ethnic birth and they, the Roman army was made up of people from all over the empire which spanned the Mediterranean if I had been really thinking I would have put a map up for you but I, I didn't think that well because we were in Texas last week and then Florida and now here Uh, But the the Mediterranean world, the whole basin, was the Roman Empire, and the soldiers came from all over. And their veterans settled these colonies. So Philippi has people from all over the known world, quote-unquote, living there. And when you were a soldier in the army, part of how you became a soldier, because a soldier's life was not a great life, it was probably about a 1 in 10 chance that you were going to survive long enough to be a veteran, but if you did survive to be a veteran, then you were a Roman citizen. And that was a major good thing. Because once you were a Roman citizen, you got all sorts of benefits. I mean, you, you, know, you had access to the legal system. Which if you were not a Roman citizen, you really didn't have access to the legal system in a, in a meaningful way. You had access to buying and selling land at a certain level. You had access to something that was called the patronage system where somebody, might, somebody who's wealthy might take you on as a project and help you get a little bit of wealth yourself. I mean, you weren't necessarily gonna become as wealthy as them, but they, it was kind of their way of gaining status was to help other people get wealth. And that made them more prominent in the empire. So it, there's economic benefits, there's social benefits. I mean, becoming a Roman citizen, it's kind of like getting a college degree today. You know, a a lot of times they say, if you get a college degree, it opens all these doors. Becoming a Roman citizen opened all these doors and more. So that's why people were willing to risk being in the army and not getting fed very well, getting very ill, dying on the front lines, all sorts of things. And the Romans would send their armies all over the known world, and you had to march everywhere. No cars, right? And if you're just an infantryman in the Roman Empire, you don't get a chariot, you don't get a horse, you are walking, and they don't really give you good footwear. So there's that. Anyway, all these veterans settled Philippi. So that means there's, they've got a particular kind of character. They've persevered. They've survived. They survived military treatment, and they want something out of life. And they respect certain types of authority. They respect people of position. They respect people with honor. And what I mean by that is honor in the ancient world was gained by doing certain things publicly. You gained honor in one of two ways. Either you shamed someone else, basically showed everyone I'm better than that person, or you helped someone that was a lot lower than you become better. And then because they got better by your help, You were better because you helped the little person. Those are the ways you got honor. And these are the types of people that we're talking about that Paul's writing to. And friendship in the ancient world, the only way that you could really have friendship, true friendship, was when you were equal in honor. Now, there were other types of friendship. You could have friendship with someone that was lower than you in honor, but it's this type of honor where you use the person that's lower than you. And they know they're being used. I mean, that's part of the relationship in the ancient world. Uh, and that still exists today, right? We know people who the, the relationship, the friendship is there's a transactional element to it. You're getting something out of it. They're getting something out of it. It's not really this kind of true friendship. It's a relationship based on transaction. Um, so when Paul talks about friendship in Philippians, when he describes Ideas. I mean, Philippians 2, I think, is the, the hallmark of it. We'll read briefly here in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is not the kind of friendship these Philippians were after. My friendship is not based on, if I'm a Philippian, it's not based on not taking advantage of the things I've earned in this world. It's not based on not taking advantage of the fact that I'm a Roman citizen. Jesus has the status of God. And Paul says, Your relationship should be like Jesus, where he had status with God and gave it up to be something else. He did not take that friendship and use it to his advantage. Rather, he emptied himself. That's the type of friendship, Philippians, that you are meant to have. You can imagine they didn't like that. I can imagine they didn't like that. Where I really want us to spend the rest of our time, though, is in chapter 3. What are the threats to this kind of friendship, the self-emptying friendship? And Paul uses his own life as an example, and I will use mine for you as well. In verse 1 of chapter 3, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul takes this this opportunity to say to these these Philippians, these veteran soldiers possibly, and their families, and the the communities that come around them, that come to a Roman colony for the fact that it is a Roman colony, he says, you know, I know about you. I know that you like credentials. You like the fact that me, your apostle, I have all these credentials. But guess what? My credentials don't matter. And guess what? Your credentials don't matter either, Philippians. The fact that you're a Roman citizen and the guy that sits next to you when you gather as a community is not, that doesn't mean anything. It can't mean anything. Because all that matters is that you are in Christ together. That is all that matters. And he talks about why. Why is it a threat to friendship? It's because when we focus on our credentials, we're focused on what is a benefit to us. Verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Who, Who were they focused on? Who are the Philippians focused on when they are worried about credentialing? They're focused on themselves. Their honor, their advancement, their benefit. What is a gain for me? But Paul turns it on its head, and he Paul knows it very well. He knows how to focus on gains for himself. He takes all these things that were his benefits, and he says, all this that were my benefits, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. I lose them for Christ. So what about you, John? Well, you got up here and you made fun of Jeff for going to Princeton and then said you're a doctor, so credentials. Well, here you go. What about me? What are my credentials? Because I do have plenty. I was born to members of Crossroads. I was raised in the International Churches of Christ. I was baptized at 13, a Bible Talk leader as a teen, when the teen ministries in my church didn't have Bible Talk leaders that were teens. I was a Hope Youth Corps intern at 19. I was an intern at the British House of of Parliament at 17. I was a leader in the Gainesville, Florida campus ministry, you know, that mecca of campus ministries. Um... I was the student body president of the University of Florida at 22, managing an $18 million budget. I have three bachelor's degrees with highest honors from the University of Florida, a master's degree from Yale, also with highest honors, and now I have a PhD from Emory. And when nobody in my field is getting offered a tenure track position right out of their PhD, I got offered one. Those are my credentials. And I could go on and on about my credentials. They're spiritual credentials. My parents were at crossroads. There are academic credentials. I have all these you know, wonderful pedigrees academically. There are social credentials for the things that I've done in the community. I mean, I didn't even list many of those. But I could get all wrapped up in those credentials. And there are times when I do. But what does it do to me when I get wrapped up in my credentials? It threatens my friendship. It threatens my fellowship. Because all of a sudden, it starts to become a focus on me. Don't they know that I have all of these credentials? That I have all of this training? Don't they know that if they would only listen to me, then they would get it right? Don't they know that I have the solution? Don't they know that if they treated me better, then everything would work out. That's how it threatens friendship. Because we look at ourselves and we say, I am better than you. And you. And you. And everyone else. And we don't realize we're even doing it. Because we're so focused on ourselves, we don't even realize that we've taken ourselves and elevated ourselves above everyone else. That's how those credentials get in our way. And that's how they've gotten in my way. Because it can even happen here at North River. I can look at North River and say, oh, well, if North River would only listen to me. Because I know. I know the answers. Do I really know the answers? I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I have some thoughts that could help. But I'm not the one who is trying to fix everything all the time. Maybe you have some thoughts on how North River could be better. You might have some really good ideas. We all probably have some really good ideas. How do we do that together? with humility we make suggestions and you know if nobody takes them that's okay we're all brothers and sisters and we are a family and we live together I I grew up in a family of four it was pretty small but guess what I was the youngest so my suggestions didn't get taken very often (laughs) that's how it goes sometimes they get taken now that's nice I like it when my suggestions get taken what is it for us though as as North River I meant everything I said at the beginning. North River has some amazing credentials. But what is it for us that threatens our friendship and our fellowship with one another, but also outside of it? I mean, we've had an amazingly healthy congregation. Things have changed a lot since I've been here. We can no longer all fit in this room. And when something is healthy, people want to be a part of it. Is that a credential that we summon? Oh, people want to be here we're healthy is it a credential that we summon that we we're growing numerically I think it's great that we're having this service with our our sister congregations and people that we know from all over Atlanta this afternoon when we think about those congregations and when we when we interact with those other congregations if they're having not the same level of success as North River do we look down on them because we're better our credentials are better what about the fact that we've had some great success as a group in making families and marriages strong the fact that we've had great success in helping people change their lives we've found some great truth as a group we've found some ways to help people connect to Jesus and that is admirable it's amazing People need that, and we should not stop. But do we think that we know all of the truth and that we are the ones who are the brokers of that truth? When we think about other congregations, outside of even our sister congregations, are we is our first thought about how they're wrong? Or are we like Paul in Philippians 1, where he says, some preach Christ out of envy, and some preach Christ out of a true heart, but what matters is Christ is preached. Is our focus on the fact that we're the ones with the truth, or is our focus on the fact that Christ is being preached? Where is our focus? And I don't mean to say that we should not help people find truth, and that we should not tell people the truth that we have found. There is a, I mean, Paul, you read him, and he's honest. In our passage, he's honest. Our passage, he's very honest. In verse 2 and 3, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He's probably talking about other people who are preaching Christ, but also saying you must be circumcised. And Paul says, no, you don't have to be circumcised. So I'm not saying don't tell people what your truth is and don't teach them, but is your first thought when you hear or meet someone else how they are wrong? Or is your first thought, wow, it's so great that somebody else wants to teach other people about Jesus? How great is it that Jesus is being spread? What is your first thought, North River? What is our first thought? when we think about our credentials, our first thought cannot be Jesus. Because Jesus' credentials were the very thing that he gave up. And Jesus refuses to be a credential for us. We can't walk around as a people and credential ourselves through Jesus. We are in Christ, and being in Christ transforms us. It makes us different than who we are, and it calls us to act differently than how we have been acting. And each time we encounter Christ, that call is renewed. When we encounter Christ on Sunday morning, We do it together as a group. We take communion together. We remember Jesus' life. We remember that he lived on earth. We remember that he, as Philippians 2 said, submitted himself to death on a cross. And we remember that because of that submission and because of that event, God's response was elevation exaltation of Christ and resurrection and that is a promise for all of us if we humble ourselves God can then exalt us and that's part of why Christ refuses to be a credential for us we cannot simultaneously humble ourselves and claim Christ as our point of pride so when we take communion today my challenge to you is to think about your life to think about our life. Here in North River, what are the moments where maybe it's money, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your ideas, maybe it's your history, how long you've been a part of North River, how long you've been a Christian. What are those moments, though, that threaten your friendships in this room? What are those moments that threaten our fellowship? And how can you transform it as Paul does, and say, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And say again, like he does in verse 13, I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I forget my credentials. Those are behind me because they come from the past. And I strain toward what is ahead. How can you take those credentials, the money, the social status, the experience, the spiritual status, whatever it may be, How can you take those and transform them into a focus on Christ? Towards what is ahead? Towards the resurrection? Towards where we're going? Towards being together one day? And how can we do that as a congregation in Atlanta? How can we do that first with our sister congregations? If you're going at 3 p.m. today, how can you do that at 3 p.m. today? How can you, as a group of North River members, do that with our brothers and sisters at 3 p.m. today? How can you transform the human instinct that we all have to compete and to elevate ourselves into a focus on Christ? And how can we do that broader than Atlanta? How can we do it in Atlanta with others, and how can we do it broader than Atlanta? How can we forget ourselves and turn to Christ? It's fitting that I should leave with a question because my friends tell me that I always ask questions. But that is my question to you. And as we take communion, I hope that you can consider the way that Christ did that for us. Christ took his credentials and put them aside. For us. So that we could all be here together. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. We are so thankful that your love is a self-emptying love. We are so thankful that your love is a submissive love. We are so thankful that your life is a life that gives us power and life and grace and truth. Thank you that your renewed life is a life that you did not leave us orphaned with, but it's a life that you use to advocate on our behalf, that you use to give us fellowship, that you use to bind us together. Thank you that your life is a life that you use to give us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach us and guide us. Form us into people who are full of the love that Christ has and that Christ displayed. Turn us towards God. Turn our hearts toward God and away from ourselves. Turn our hearts toward Jesus. Turn our focus towards Jesus so that we may submit ourselves as Jesus did. God, teach us to be humble. We want to humble ourselves so that you do not have to humble us. Father, help us as a group, guide our paths, guide our leaders, guide all of us as we go forward from this place today. Teach us to be full of your love and teach us how to be truthful people who are willing to go there with people, but are willing to go there in a humble way and teach them what we know. But not insist on our own credentials. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
1: Our communion uh, reflection and service this morning, and definitely think it'd be very appropriate and meaningful to thank John Boyles. That was a terrific job. Thank you, brother, very much. Hmm. I think for most of us in the book of Philippians, as we study through it again and again in the weeks and years ahead, it will remember that Philippians chapter 3 and to realize that focusing on, on any credentials that we may have as an individual or as a church takes our focus off of Jesus, limits our friendships, and that if we can stay focused on Jesus, not on ourselves, our lives will be better, our marriages will be better, our church will be healthier. And that was very meaningful and worth a lot of reflection. And John, thanks also for sharing sharing your heart and sharing a piece of your journey I don't think John's the only person that suffers from being a little skittish or a little skeptical, you know, sometimes in working through different things that we have in our lives with our background, church, family, etc., cetera. Uh, we're all a work in progress still, North River is, and each one of us is as well. And so hopefully uh, that that sermon, that lesson, the communion's helped us, you know, focus on that humility and ways that we can grow and uh, John and Laura, we're going to miss you, but uh, we know you'll be back, and this is one of the wonderful things about being a close spiritual church family, is that we can stay connected and close even as we kind of spread out around the Southeast and around the world. makes our reunions just that much better. Well, before we're done today, we want to take up our our weekly uh, contribution and hear a few words from Jesus. We all have our opinions about money and finances. Let's face it. We know that. We all have our credentials and the way that we sort of think through things. But why don't we take a moment and listen to the one who needs no credentials but himself, that's Jesus, on this important topic about our finances, how to order and prioritize, and to be able to think just in the right way. And so as you give this morning or as you reflect on the giving that you've already done online or will, let these words of of Jesus be able to frame our thinking and Help us with our whole view.